Hello and welcome to Success Story, the show that tells the very real and personal stories that merge chronic illness and sex. I'm your host, Heather DeKaiser, therapist, wife, and survivor of triple negative breast cancer. Each week on Success Story, you're going to hear from individuals and couples about how illness has affected their relationships and their sex lives. Not only do we talk about just how challenging these effects can be, but we're also going to talk about what the hell we can do about it. Listen along as stories of sexual challenge and tragedy become stories of success. Welcome everyone to episode six of Success Story. The topic for today is when cancer fucks you and you don't orgasm. So in other words, basically when you lose sexy, how do you find it again? That's the less vulgar way of saying that. Um, disclosure, there may be talk of vulvas, definitely talks about breasts and the female body in general. So if this isn't your jam, this may not be the episode for you. However, we will also be focusing on confidence and self-esteem, where we get our worth and value, our inner voices and listening to our bodies and accepting them, and what it's like to question and doubt and have anger towards ourselves and cancer and treatment and recovery. So if that is your jam, you may want to hang through the vulva talk. We are also going to talk about dating relationships and how to talk about what cancer and sex is like. So I really think everyone is still going to be able to take something from this episode. I have another really special friend joining me today for more of a discussion than interview. Jenny and I met early on in my cancer journey through my sister, actually. I cannot even tell you how this woman has helped encourage and validate and help me get through and even appreciate all we've gone through. She is a dear, dear friend and cancer survivor, and I truly, truly hope she remains in my life forever and ever. So thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so excited for today because of all of our convos thus far and about what this could look like and just how amazing our talks are whenever we do get to see each other. So welcome, Jenny. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and why you decided to do this with me and just why you think this is important. Well, thank you, Heather. And hello um, to anybody listening. I think that I feel a sense of privilege sitting here with you Mm -hmm. because you mean um, just exactly what you've just said. And everybody, I'm a crier, so just bear with me because I can't guarantee when, if, or how it's going to come out. Not a problem. Um, (laughs) But Heather, um, you've really become somebody so special to me and somebody that I truly admire. And um, to tell um, everyone just a little about me, Mm -hmm. I am a native of Colorado. You don't hear that often anymore. You never do. There's no transplant here. There's no (laughs) implants except for my boobs. (laughs) We'll get to that, I'm sure. Yes. Um, For a long time, I think I said implanted instead of transplanted. So that's where my brain's been in my journey. Um, But yeah, born and raised uh, here in Colorado. I have um, two older brothers. I have two grown nephews and I have a great nephew. So I'm a great aunt. That's awesome. And I just, I love my people dearly. I have two wonderful parents um, that have been such a tremendous part of my story. 
um, long before my cancer journey even. Um, this family has been um, really the keystone of my life, and we all live here. So that's Very cool. beautiful. Yes, absolutely. And you know, what really inspired me to come do this with you is you, um, quite frankly, just putting it simply. Um, You're going to you... turn me into a crier. <laughs> well, you inspire the crap out of me. Um, and I think one of the biggest reasons you do is because of the honesty you live in and the truth that you live in. You don't sugarcoat this journey. You don't, you talk about the unconventional things. And that is something that I have been private about for many years in my journey, and it's been a breath of fresh air to connect with you in an honest, real, genuine way. And so for me, the passion of doing this is if one person hears our conversation today and takes anything from it, whether that's validation, whether it's crying, whether it's anger, whether it's um, whatever, right? Everybody comes to the table and is just who they are, mm -hmm. um, then that means something for me because um one thing that resonates with me people always ask this why does bad shit happen to good people yeah and honestly this is why this is an example of why because really good people take their journey and take their tragedy and take their pain and turn it into something so beautiful mm -hmm. and i think you've done that so so well and so i'm just honored to be sitting here with you um having this conversation Thank you so, so much. I know the tears are already flowing. Blah, let's, <laughs> let's get this. Let's get this started. Absolutely. I think this is going to be great. Thank, uh, you. thank you so much for doing this. Um, I can, I can tell you that this conversation is just going to be amazing. Well, and I think too, it's so important to talk about our sexuality and our, what it is to be a woman going through this. And so that's something that I know we're going to get into a little bit more in depth. Um, and I really hope that resonates in some way too. And I hope they could get past the vulva, like you said. Um, but truly I just feel that, um, this is the stuff that isn't as talked about. Exactly. Is dating and, and how does that change after you go through something like this and, and even understanding yourself and then who you are as a woman and who you are in your sexuality again, because we're allowed to be these confident beings. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really looking forward to where that leads us today too. Makes me think of the word intimacy. And I always describe it with my clients as into me see. Mm. And I don't think that we are encouraged to really explore the intimate parts of ourselves let alone what happens when that goes poorly or when we lose those parts or when they're taken from us or when something like chemo or radiation and surgery and all of the after effects that stick with us for so long, how that all affects our ability to be intimate with other people, but we never really figure that out for ourselves sometimes. And so I think that it's important, and I know that's going to be part of our message today, is just how do we figure out what intimacy means to us? But I think we need to come at it from the perspective of into me, into me see, then we will have a better idea of how to share that with other people, whether it's friendships, relationships, um, just, you know, intimate partner relationships. I think there's a lot of different kinds of intimacy, but those specifically. I agree wholeheartedly because for a woman, typically, right, 
and stereotypically to be intimate in the truest sense of that word, we have to feel an emotional connection mm -hmm. of some sort. And that's really what drives how much we let others see of us. Yes. So I think a big piece of intimacy is not just the act of, but what you're talking to, which is understanding who we are innately as a human and as individuals and then as duos or whatever that looks like. Yep. And it begins with a lot of that mental, emotional piece. So in episode one, listeners got to hear a lot about my specific cancer journey, but I think it would be super helpful if you kind of gave us an overview of your cancer journey. Just what kind of cancer did you have? How did you find it? How did you find out that you had it? Kind of give us an idea of what that looked like for you. Absolutely. And when it was. Absolutely. Um, I was diagnosed on 10-1 of 2010. So the first day of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. 10-1-2010. Yep. And that date just doesn't go away, right? Like, I call it D-Day. So it was 11 years ago. 11 years ago. Damn. And... I was diagnosed with breast cancer, HER2 positive, which is the protein side. Okay, so not the hormones. Correct. So I was progesterone, progesterone, progesterone. <laughs> and estrogen negative. Okay. <laughs> Words are hard sometimes. Yes, especially that one. Yeah. Um, and so the HER2 positive spoke a lot to the aggression of my cancer. So um, for anybody that um, is going through this, typically you're given a stage and a grade. Okay. And I was a stage two. And the simplicity behind my stage two was that it went metastatic. So my breast cancer hit my first lymph node in my left armpit. Okay. And um, I found it. So I was 27 years old at this time. So um, such that time of life when you are searching for your partner, or maybe you found that partner, or whatever that looks like, it was that kind of coin part of life where you're growing a lot. And I felt like I just got stunted in that moment. So mm -hmm. I was diagnosed um, and it became a bit of a whirlwind, but breast cancer, HER2 positive. Wow. Was the diagnosis. Does and it run in your family or? That's another very interesting part of my story because I'm adopted. And so being adopted, I have no idea of that health history. I have bits and pieces of it. Okay. Um, I was tested for BRCA1 and 2 at that time. And since I've been tested for 28 other genes, wow. all of which have come back negative. All of them. So yeah, I'm just okay. this walking enigma at this time being young and having no genetic disposition yeah, that we found yet, right? There's still a lot of research being done surrounding the genetic and the genes mm -hmm. of this disease. But um, yeah, I was doing like a self-check in the shower for whatever reason I was doing those, like the doctor tells you to. Yeah. Listened to them um, and found a bit of a lump in my left breast and... No, had noticed when putting on deodorant, there was a bit of a lump in that armpit. So intuitively connecting those, I kind of gave it a month, actually. Okay. Just to see if it would change with women's bodies and our hormones 
would that change? Would it shrink? And that thing did not move and just sat in there like the unanswered fear that I didn't want to face. And Did you tell anybody about it when you had found it? I did. I told my parents at a Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm-hmm. Yep. Those details stick out, don't they? They do. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. I remember sitting across with them and saying that I had found it and, and that it had been about a month and that I thought it was time that I got it checked. And it's so interesting because I feel like we innately do know our bodies in hindsight's always 2020, right? Yeah. And I think I could feel sick. Like, if I really looked at what transpired before my diagnosis, I was falling asleep all the time. I was exhausted more than usual. I would get kind of your average colds a little bit more often. Um, And so it's really interesting because your body just starts telling you something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And then I found out my tumor was six years old. So I know yours was a little bit older, right? It's interesting. I was just reading on a forum um, of people and they ask that question like how if you didn't have any symptoms of your particular cancer how do you think you knew or what was your body maybe telling you and one of the women with breast cancer said I had unexplained itchiness and I remember a decade ago I had unexplained itchiness on my legs my stomach and my lower back and there was no rash and nothing helped it I would wake Jeremy up in the middle of the night and he would put me in oatmeal baths because I would cry and I would itch my legs till they bled and there was nothing there. And I saw my doctor repeatedly and she's like, try hydrocortisone, try these meds, try this. Nothing worked. And it would just all of a sudden disappear for months on end and then it would come back and then it would disappear. And it's like, it, is there, am I allergic to something? We would try different detergents, and but there was never a rash. That is a symptom of breast cancer. I didn't know that. And I experienced that prior Are to Are you my, thinking about this right now? Yes. Like, unexplicable. I can remember just sitting, especially on my legs. Yes. That's where I resonate the most with what you said. That's trippy. That is a symptom of early stage breast cancer. Wow. How long ago did you have the itchiness? Oh, I mean, it was even probably in high school, to be honest. Okay. And you're right. And there that was, was nothing that really... 10 years really... before you got diagnosed. Yeah. They say that by the time a breast cancer tumor is about one to two centimeters, it's been growing eight to 10 years. I mean, that's crazy right and I think that's such a uh, an emotional thing because it's so sneaky cancer mm-hmm. is so sneaky it's my least favorite thing about how silent and it can be until it's not yep um but the itchiness now that's I had not heard that until just now now I mean not to say that everyone who's got unexplained itchiness yes. like, obviously is going to have breast cancer you know yeah uh, but I do think that listening to our bodies is something super important to be thinking about because we think that like oh we have depression and anxiety and you know it then our then our body starts to experience symptoms i don't know if that's true i think that sometimes our body 
goes through something, whether it's chronic pain or inflammation or itchiness or whatever, and it's telling us, hey, pay attention to this. Something might be going on. And our doctors don't automatically think 27-year-old female, 18-year-old female, whatever your itchiness started. For me, I would have been 26, 26 26-year-old female, breast cancer. Let's check for breast. I mean, your doctors don't automatically think to go check for that, right? That's not their first line of thinking. And I do think our bodies experience symptoms and they're trying to tell us something is up, something is wrong. And so often we're like, oh, I have a headache, just take some ibuprofen, get rid of the pain. But it's like, what if that headache is trying to tell you something? Like maybe you've had too much caffeine or you haven't had your caffeine for the day yet or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I just, I pay attention to my body so much more now. I don't know about you, but. I 100% do. And I think that is a blessing and a curse of being survivors of this Mm, because the curse is you think every little thing and every little twinge is the cancer. Yep. And your brain, for whatever reason, I'm... 11, 12, 11 years out, and it's still like, oh, that little twinge, is it the cancer again? Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. I don't think I paid enough attention prior because we're young and we're not expecting this type of a diagnosis that young. And certainly I had a ultrasound tech even say, you youngsters have all sorts of interesting things that pop up and I'm sure you're, you know, trying to be positive. Mm-hmm. And a day later I get a biopsy and by the end of the week I have a breast cancer diagnosis. And it is so true what you're saying is just to pay attention, right? If there are trends, if there are nagging things that you can't find an answer to, keep advocating for yourself, mm-hmm. no matter your age, because cancer does not discriminate. Nope. And it's happening younger younger and younger. I mean, one in eight women will have breast cancer and they're expecting, I mean, the FDA did, I don't know if you saw this, just approved that blood test that can detect early stage breast cancer in women over the age of 40. Oh. And all they have to do is a doctor has to prescribe for the lab and women can go get that blood test and it will tell them if they have early stage breast cancer or not. Oh, that warms me because that's what we need is this preventative stage, right? Mm-hmm. This ability to detect yep. sooner. Yep. That I that makes me so happy. Yeah. I hadn't heard that. It's it's been around for between ten and fifteen years, oh. but the FDA finally just approved it. That is phenomenal because it also says there's support behind the detection and prevention of. Finally. Yes. And hopefully that will happen for other cancers too. I hope so because cancer takes too many lives and affects too many lives. Well, give us an overview of what your cancer treatment looked like then because happening over a decade ago... I know that can't like especially for breast cancer treatment changes almost yearly sometimes. So what what did yours look like? Well, and I think it's important for me to say too. I'll be honest, I didn't have much knowledge of breast cancer before my diagnosis. Okay. Um, I didn't have family like I said that had experienced it. I had nobody close to me. 
um, where I would have learned or understood what this disease does, can do, how it derives, all okay. of that was, I was in the dark to that. So this became a very educational moment where I'm like, I wish I paid more attention in biology and chemistry and all these classes because that's what you're put through mm-hmm. is intense versions of biology and chemistry courses. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I had the best team there possibly was from surgery to chemo to plastic. I cannot be more grateful for the team that was placed in my life. And that's not by chance. That's by destiny and by faith. And um, I remember the first person that I encountered to talk through my treatment plan was the surgeon. Okay. Um, And there was not a question in my mind, and I don't know how or why or what got me here, but I chose double mastectomy before I really think I knew all the varying degrees of options. I think being that age, I just went aggressive in my brain. Mm -hmm. And I had a beautiful surgeon who walked me through all all the variations and it's it was my body and I think that was the hardest part I don't know for you the hardest part for me in figuring out treatment plan was they leave pieces of it up to you yeah and they really didn't give me any sort of recommendation Mm -hmm. because of that did you experience a little of that too where they're like well we could recommend this route or this route, but they wouldn't really tell you what to do with like the pieces of your body, the surgery of your body. You know, my oncologist from day one was like, lumpectomy, that's what you're going to do. And I was like, it's triple negative, Dr. McHale. Like, (laughs) I think maybe double mastectomy. She's like, why you even talk like that? You'll do lumpectomy. And I'd be like, and I would talk to Rognus, my surgeon, and I was like, Dr. Rognus, what do you think? And in the beginning, she was like, double mastectomy. If you were my daughter, that's what I would tell you to do. But I didn't know that she at the time was like 99% positive that my BRCA test was going to come back positive. Mm. So when it came back negative, she was like, you're an enigma. Like, I can't believe it was negative let's wait to see how chemo pans out. And then she got a little bit more quiet. And then at the end of chemo, when we found out I had a full pathological um, response to it, Rognus was like, you have no tumor left from what it looks like. So triple negative is more likely to come back somewhere else if it ever comes back. This doesn't improve your survival or recurrence risks of mastectomy versus lumpectomy I can never give you your breasts back you're 34 I think you should consider lumpectomy if that's the route you want to go I can always take them off in a year if they're giving you too much anxiety I can always take them off then but I can never give them back to you and I went back to Mikhail and she's like never a doubt lumpectomy (laughs) what what would you even think about mastectomy for I told you this was gonna happen I mean Mikhail is just very (laughs) clinical. Don't put cart before horse. I tell you what to do. This is what it is. Rockness was the feel, feelings. It's totally up to you. This would be a recommendation, but maybe this, you you know, it, it was very different that way. So I think that 
you saying if you were my daughter resonated something with me. And okay. I do think my surgeon, Dr. Kircher, that woman will forever be in, etched in my heart, mm-hmm. um, did say if you're my daughter, double mastectomy. Mm-hmm. And I, but I think still kind of said, but it's up to you. Right. Because... So let me back up just a little bit because my journey went from my gynecologist. That's who I went okay. to first. Okay. So when I found the lump, the appointment that I made was my um, gynecologist. Okay. Immediately, she put me in touch for mammogram ultrasound. Mm-hmm. And I was supposed to be going on a work trip. And that is when that sweet ultrasound tech said, oh, you youngsters have all sorts of things in your bodies. You should be able to take that work trip and, you know, trying just to have normal conversation. Well, I ended up deciding to cancel that trip because I had a lump in my gut that something was not right. Mm. And I had had that since I found that lump. Okay. I just felt something was wrong. Yep. So I went in one week from that mammogram to an ultrasound to a biopsy to diagnosis. Yep. And it feels like 20 minutes when you're going through this. So I remember distinctly in my biopsy, the first half of the conversation was pleasantries. The second half of that conversation was about family that I had in town, about a support system. And I don't know that that person intuitively knew that they were doing that. Again, hindsight. When I looked back, I was like, they knew halfway through that what my diagnosis was going to be. That it was bad. That it was bad. And they've seen enough of this to just know. Mm -hmm. So I went from the diagnosis to my surgeon and she is who recommended my oncologist okay. and I met with her early too. So I was having the surgery conversations and the treatment conversations simultaneously because we needed more information to understand which rhythm we'd go in. So I got the triple threat. I got And they called it systemic therapy. So I got surgery, chemo, and radiation as a treatment plan. No ifs, ands, or buts did not matter how it was going to turn out. And that's to go back to the grade and stage. So I said the stage that I had was two. The grade I had was three. And so it meant it was a very aggressive form. In situ carcinoma. Mm -hmm. I had two types of cancer that they found. And so based off of that, and then came the PET scan because I went from getting a diagnosis and I'll share a little of what that was like too, which I was working and I was working. So I'm in learning and development for a living was then still am love people love to pour into people. It's my passion, love to grow them. And I happened to be coaching this person on a tour. So in the apartment industry, that's the bread and butter of what you're doing. And we had gone through the first part of that tour. And I had a missed call 
from my oncologist. Nope, from my gynecologist. And she said, I just want you to call me back and they'll patch you through if we're closed. And I was like, shit. Mm -hmm. If I'm getting patched through on a Friday afternoon, this is not good news. Yeah. So I went, took that call, had the conversation, was told I had breast cancer, dropped to the ground in front of this community, like lost all control of my legs, dropped to the ground. It was the most bizarre feeling of yeah. just, you've been given a death sentence. That's what it feels like. Went back in and delivered feedback to the person I was training that day because I felt he deserved the right tie out of his training experience that day. And it was pure adrenaline. I'm convinced of it. I honestly don't remember what I said, how that last transaction with him went. Um, I just remember closing out the day as I would normally. My parents were purposely coming to pick me up because we knew I was getting that call. And as soon as I walked out, I started crying and my dad immediately started crying. And my mom, how I describe my mom is she's this silent, like I get my warriorship from her yeah. because she's the silent contributor, but her face and body language said it all. So she internalized and he externalized that moment. And it just felt like I'd lost all the air in my lungs when I saw their faces too. Yep. And so fast forward to the treatment plan. Um, when I got kind of the, the next was a PET scan and we can all relate with a PET scan. It's just the most uncomfortable, scary moment because they tell you it could be in your brain. It could be in your lungs. It could be anywhere in your body. Who knows how far it's traveled. Yes. And you just can't breathe. And I think that's, I would just sat there and kept saying brain. It could be in my brain. It could be in my brain. Mm -hmm. um, and I just remember that being the thought. And my PET scan came back with the results of the breast and that lymph node. Okay. And so the shape of my tumor then presented chemo first in my plan. Chemo first, surgery was the middle, radiation was the end. Okay. So very similar to my plan. Yes. And if I recall, very similar to what happened to you when you were given your diagnosis, <laughs> you kept working. <laughs> yes. What is wrong I, with us? <laughs> I was in between sessions and I had a missed call from the doctor. It was not my doctor because my doctor's off on Friday. Ugh. It was the owner of the practice. And she said, need you to give me a call back. Doesn't matter what time it is. We just, we got the results of your biopsy and I just want to tell you a little bit about what it looks like. Mm. And I was like, fuck me. <laughs> I just knew when I left the biopsy because she Ugh. had tears in her eyes and I said, well, I get the results over the phone and she tilted her head down to the right and was like, yes, you'll have the results over the phone. And she had tears in her eyes and I was like, Fuck me. Those are always my words. Yes. Um, and yeah, I when I got my diagnosis, when I called that doctor back, she just said, she's like, Heather, you have breast cancer. And I'm like, come again? Ugh. And I'm like, I, what does that mean? Like, what? 
and she said a bunch of shit and I had four minutes to get ready for a session. And I thought, I can't cancel my session. I just got diagnosed with cancer. That's such a lame thing to say to somebody. And, but that was my thought, right? Like that's probably my Carissa said, (laughs) but that's like the best reason to cancel a session. And I was like, but what if I can't see this client or talk to this client? It was during COVID. What if I can't talk to them again for a month or two? They need me. And I do not want to call my mother and my father and tell them their daughter has fucking breast cancer right now. So I cried on Jeremy's shoulder for four minutes. He held me. I pulled it together, had my session. Then I called my parents. And that was one of the worst phone calls I've ever had to make. And Jeremy had told Carissa to come over while I was in my session. And so you told her in person and your parents over the phone. Yep, because they were in Green Bay. And it's just, to what you said, it's like your parents aren't expecting this either. Mm -hmm. Of their 34-year-old, healthy, beautiful daughter. Right, or their 27-year-old beautiful daughter I mean what are the odds exactly and I can't imagine having to tell mine over the phone and just the heart wrench and break you must have felt having to do that over the phone it was easier because you didn't see is that why I did not have to see the look on their face or in their eyes (sighs) because I knew that they were both gonna think it should have been me this should be me there is no way my daughter should have to go through cancer. This should, Am I going to have to bury my daughter before she buries us? I remember my dad calling the family. And he broke down every single time. And it was almost like out-of-body experience. Yeah. Driven. Because... Just the emotion, and he said the same thing. They both did. I I want to take that from you, and I want to deal with it. And mm-hmm. there's no control there. There's no taking it. And so then they're, you're out of control as the people that raised us mm-hmm. and have cared and protected us for many, many years. Exactly. How quickly did they come here? My dad on that same call was like, I can have the camper packed and ready to go. We can leave tomorrow. When do you want us there? And I was like, well, hold on a second. Like, I don't even know what this looks like yet. I don't, I just kind of assumed I knew nothing about chemo first and breast cancer. When it came to breast cancer, I just kind of assumed I'd have surgery first and then, you know, probably chemo. Like I got to talk to my doctors first. I, I don't know what any, I got Yes, I got to start researching oncologists. And the first two doctors that of the names that I had been given were not in network with my insurance. Ugh. So I had to go onto my insurance and figure out which doctors were in network. And then on Monday, I started making the calls. Who was taking new clients? Who could I get in with the quickest? They told me it's very fast growing. You don't have a lot of time to get going. Just see who can get you in the quickest. But I had like spent Saturday and Sunday researching doctors of like, who did I want to go see? And I chose my team. Yes. And it, 
there is nothing like choosing the right team of care providers Mm -hmm. and having them envelop you. Mm -hmm. My surgeon cried. She held my hand as we were going into the operating room and cried with me because she did not want to take the breasts of a 27-year-old woman. And she was so worried about the psychological impact that that would place on who I was as a woman, who I'd become. Because these are one of the things that make us different than men. Yep. And makes us female and feminine and sexy. Thanks, society. (laughs) (laughs) It did kind of set us up for that one, didn't it? Yes. Um, but I know you and I have had a lot of conversations about our care teams and how mm-hmm. tremendous, um, having the right, right group is. Exactly. And advocating for yourself to find mm-hmm. the right group too. Mm-hmm. So early on, um, how did you reach out for help or for support or, to find escape or to feel good or bad, like in diagnosis and, you know, starting treatment and all of that. I ended up deciding to move in with my parents. Okay. Because I knew I might have been voluntold by them. I was moving in also because we knew what an uphill battle this was going to be. And I had been in an eight year on and off relationship um, but not living with someone. So I lived by myself and my sweet little cat, Bella, Aww. who will forever be in my heart for getting me through cancer. She's no longer with us. Oh, Bella. Um, but being that alone and vulnerable, it was an immediate decision to move in. Okay. With them. Um, and my mom went into immediate caretaker mode, of course, because wanted to make sure I had the right dietary needs and and just emotional support. Um, and my dad took on that protector role of just, I need you under my roof. And, and then I, it was a no-brainer for me. And so my support immediately landed in the laps of my parents. Okay. As a grown adult, which was tough to to go from being a single grown adult since I'd been 18, um, living on my own or with roommates, to moving back with them. And it was the best time, and I'll never take it back. But the immediate support pour in was them, um, as well as asking a lot of questions of my team about resources, both financially and emotionally. I leaned heavily into my friend group too. Being a native, I've got a lot of, um, one of my very best friends and I have been friends our whole lives. So we say we're friends from the womb. Mm-hmm. Um, her and her sister were one of the first calls. Um, so really friends and family is where I poured immediately and first. And I'm such a private person that I think that was natural for me to just keep it there and then allow others to tell and be okay with others telling what had happened because I didn't have the strength 
to make those calls. Mm -hmm. And so the immediate support and pour in was family, friends, and my team of doctors to really understand what the programs were. Yeah. Um, What good feel good. You heard of this program? Mm -mm, I haven't. It is a beautiful program that supplies like makeup and classes and tutorials on just what it is to feel a little like yourself going through treatment and chemo specifically. Because as you know, we lose our eyebrows, our lashes, our hair, in addition to the other pieces of our bodies that are changing. And so that class was one of the standouts. I can still remember the room, the people, what they brought. Um, That was my first introduction even to wigs and bandanas and scarves and the tricks that women can do to still look a smidgen like ourselves. I think Parker Adventist had an equivalent to that. I don't know if it was called that. Maybe it was, and I just don't remember. But they did have something similar to that. Yep. And I think they still do. I don't know if Look Good, Feel Good, to your point, is still a um, a well-known program and what COVID might have done to that. But I agree with you. I think there's programs like that, mm-hmm. and they're invaluable because we're coming from all walks of life going through this, and... To, to understand even the financial, the, the emotional aspects of it was huge. Um, and I had a friend who did an event to raise money for me, and it was called For the Love. Oh. Um, and people could come donate uh, towards my recovery and my journey. And sure. so there was unexpected pour-ins to me that I ne- didn't necessarily seek or think I needed, and I needed Absolutely. Tremendously. And so how did cancer affect your relationships with family, friends, yourself? I know you mentioned an eight-year relationship. Yeah. Um, That eight-year relationship, the statement that I received from that person when I was diagnosed, first of all, they went dark on me, couldn't get a hold of them, couldn't find him, was not answering my calls, text, anything, finally got a call back and the statement I was given was, I'm sorry, I can't do this. Wow. So the person that I loved and that I expected to be there was the first to dip out. And what was hard for me was I immediately went to the things that we think just stereotypically of, is it because I'm going to change physically? Does he feel he's not gonna be attracted or find me sexy anymore? Or my brain just went to the worst part of that. And two months later, I got a call begging for forgiveness and for an opportunity to be in my life. And so that's one relationship that 
I'm thankful to cancer for, for weeding out for me. Okay. Um, God, that had to be hard. I mean, it was awful because you're already heartbroken and shattered from your diagnosis and to get heartbroken and shattered by this person you've invested time and energy and love and shared life with it was a dark place to go and all of a sudden I think the reason I could get through that is I had bigger fish to fry Mm. I was getting ready to fight for my life sans a relationship that wasn't what I thought it was yeah and so I think my saving grace out of that was the simple fact that I had to go fight for my life and Um, But nights were awful for that because you're just left alone with your thoughts and the loss. So that was one relationship. The remaining relationships became stronger. So my relationships across the board, people showed up and came out of the woodwork that I would have never expected. I cannot tell you how many cards, flowers, um encouragements through email text came through from people that I didn't and hadn't connected with Mm -hmm. in a while and extended family across the nation and um it really poured into most of the other relationships and grew them yeah what about with yourself oh man I had a woman tell me before I went through treatment that I would be grateful for chemo. Which seems like a strange (laughs) thing to hear. Right. Like you and I know we watch To the lay person. (laughs) Like, huh. Well, that's interesting. Thankful for chemo. Huh. You're going to be thankful to be fucked up. (laughs) Right. For possibly ever. Okay. And I'm standing there thinking to myself, what the fuck? Yeah. What did, what, so what did she mean? <laughs> so what she meant was the question you just asked, which is you get to know yourself in the most deep sense of who you are. Because um, for me, I got stripped down to the core of who I was. I had nothing left but a will to fight. Not a will. Oof. I mean, we could have, right? We, we I mean, had to come up with those. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. But like... The fight, the amount of strength I think I didn't realize I had, I had. And understanding who I was as Jenny the human person and what I brought to the table. And it made me fight for my own damn life. Because... That gives me chills. uh, Because I just felt... Like, I had never known myself until that point. It makes me emotional because I think I thought I knew who I was and what I wanted out of life. And I really didn't until I was brought to the depths of hell and back. And I learned what it is to be selfless. I learned what it is to be kind, regardless of circumstance and, and what appears. I learned that everybody has a story and is fighting through something and that it's important to say hi to perfect strangers. And um, I call the people that came in and out of my life through that time angels with skin because 
it was a lot of little drops of just reminding myself who I was and allowing myself to share with others in a vulnerable way I hadn't done before. And I learned that life is not all about what you do and work. And I was such a heavy professional at that point and I was crazy with it and I worked a lot of hours and I learned how to put self-care into my world and I learned that it's okay to be angry and it's okay to be sad and it's okay to be devastated and feel sorry for myself and I did feel sorry for myself but it was more important to pull myself back up and know that I could do it and know that I would come through it and the parts that I learned most were in the dark and that's where you and I are the same (laughs) we definitely had conversations about this we did um and still do and what the dark taught me was not that I was going to die but that I was going to live and what it would look like to focus on my future and not my present and live in knowing there was a future. And so there was a point in the darkness when I came back to life. Jesus. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just... (laughs) Letting the tears soak back into the eyeball for a second. As are most of the listeners, probably. No, but that's seriously, <laughs> that gives me chills because I know that you and I have talked about being inside of the dark. Like, for me, it was the nighttime, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I think you're probably talking about nighttime and, like, the dark, like, figuratively also, mm-hmm. but just the times when you are left alone with your thoughts. And I think you have said and verbalized this when you don't have anyone else to talk to or when you're not Mm. physically or verbalizing it to somebody else. But you have to make a choice. I'm either going to wallow in this, I'm going to give up, give in, and I'm going to make the choice to die. Or I'm going to, for me, it was get up off this closet floor. Now that I've had a good cry in the dark, I'm going to go crawl back to my bed and I'm going to go to sleep now. Mm -hmm. And God willing, if I wake up in the morning, I am going to do it all over again, knowing that there will be pain, there will be tears, there will be baldness. There will be lots of looks in the mirror and the fireplace and catching my reflection in things, saying you're fucking ugly. Don't fucking say that about yourself. Like, just get through this where you can decide to fight and you're going to survive it. It'll be hard, but you're going to survive it. And don't you think the mental strength in this journey is 80% of the battle, if not more. 
What are your thoughts on that? You know, yes, but I think there are different ways to be mentally strong as well. Because Mm -hmm. I used to have people that would ask me, like, what do you think the purpose of this is for you? (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know yet. Like, have I had some magical awakening where I know what my life is meant for? No. (laughs) Half the time, I just want to punch a bitch. (laughs) And no, I haven't eaten leaves and had this awakening and love nature. No, I'm not spiritually fucking alive now. Okay? That has not happened yet. I'm not journaling every day and... You know, like, and I just, I remember thinking, like, I'm going to, I'm probably going to die. Like, I haven't had this, like, this, there's a purpose. And I remember feeling so guilty. Like, why haven't I had that yet? When is it going to happen? Where is my purpose? And then I'm like, and I remember feeling so bad about that. Because I, I never had that. I still don't know if I've had that. Okay, thank like, you. Like, coming out of this, you know, and I'm a decade, more than a decade out, and I'm still like, what is the Like, I kept working, <laughs> and I oh, probably I swore more, and I ate sugar, and I still drank once in a while. Not during chemo, but... I just, you know, wanted to get back to drinking. Uh And I just, I don't know. But now, since treatment, I'm, like, helping more people with cancer in my practice. And, you know, I'm doing this podcast now. And my relationships are deeper. And I'm learning what I want out of life. And so I think maybe that was the, you know, part of the purpose. But when you talk about mental strength, I'm like, (laughs) was I mentally strong? I don't know. I just thought about punching people a lot. And, you know, like when I would go to chemo, I was by far the youngest person in that chemo room. Yep. And I would dance and I would make people laugh. Mm -hmm. And I still keep in touch with some of those, you know, people. And so maybe that was part of it. But I I don't know to answer your question. I don't know if I still have an answer. You know, it's so, I love, like, this is what I love about you, is your pure, genuine honesty, because it cracks my egg up (laughs) all the time, (laughs) because I'm just like, things are shitting, (laughs) fuck it all. A bird just pooped on me, that was the purpose of today. Totally, totally, and I think it's okay for us to fumble around in the dark about the purpose, because... For me, it is what you said, which is the connections that I have with people I otherwise likely wouldn't have these deep, now lifelong connections like you. And I think that to relive it is a whole thing, right? Because it reminds you of these little things, right? Like okay, the purpose was so that I can help lift others. The purpose was so that I could just be a better person generally, that I can be more thoughtful and more intentional with my approaches. 
I can appreciate the little things and the big things. So you're right. I don't know that we come out with a per like this grandiose purpose. Yeah. But I think it grows us in many ways. And like I don't complain about pubic hair. Yeah. And armpit hair anymore. I'm like, woohoo! I'm like that might have been loud. The whole Look, they sprouted, Jeremy, down there. Look, yes! they sprouted. You know, like I've never like, been come so happy get to look. shave my legs and, you know, things like that. I mean, I think I don't take those things for granted anymore. Maybe that's part of it, too. I just, I take less for granted. And I think, too, for me, I'm like, it could have been worse. Like, you and I have shared the depths of this shit together. And let me tell you, the amount of grit that it took you to get through your journey is unbelievable to me. Like when I hear your experience, I'm like, what in the actual fuck does one person have to deal with more before this thing is just done for them? Mm -hmm. And I love that you share it because it doesn't just get rosy the day you're done with treatment. Right. And I think for me, my mental was unstable. (laughs) That's That's, honest. That's what I would call my mental going through all that. Unstable. I mean, I felt like a walking Jekyll and Hyde. Ugh. Because some days you were like hopping and skipping and like, oh, yeah, this is, we're moving and grooving. And then you got in the bubble, which is what I called the horrible days of chemo. And you're like, I can't move. Yep. And I don't know what to do with that right now because I should be able to move. Yep. So it is, it is a constant like ebb and flow to this day. And I think that's so important for anyone to know, like to this day, there's a constant ebb and flow, but I do think my mental has been a priority post it all. I think during, I had a lot of resentment, a lot of anger, a lot of sadness, but I balance that with humor and happy and trying, like, to your point, you go into chemo and you're trying to make people laugh and do your thing to brighten whatever is going on. But there were some days when I was like, I'm a phony. And I want to throw things. And I did. Good for you. I can't imagine you throwing anything, though. Mm-hmm. It was pillows. Really? It's my mom's idea. A pillow, really? Uh You couldn't even pick up something heavier than that? I wanted to take a bat to the car (laughs) is what I really wanted to do. Ooh. Wouldn't that be liberating? Uh Uh-huh. That's what I wanted to do. But we punched pillows and threw them around. Good for you. You know? You have to some days. Mm -hmm. Like... Screaming into the abyss. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it just sometimes, I don't know, doesn't it... Or didn't it just feel like there was something inside of you that had to come out one way or another? Yes. You don't know what it was. Yes. But it was just 
in there. And I don't know, some days it just felt like it was building and building and building. And it was like, oh, I'm thinking about death. And people would be like, don't think about that. And it's like, well, I'm thinking about it even more because you tried to silence me. Because that was, that is reality that we have to think about. And as, as you and I have had conversations too about like dating Mm -hmm. relationships, I need somebody that will be there if this thing comes back. And I can say that at this length out still because it has to be something I realistically think about is I can't just look for a partner that has these qualities. Like I need you to know this is a part of my story and be able to handle that shit if it happens again. You are the first person I have talked to who has like been honestly able to say that it's such an important part of the reality of this disease do i live in my truth if i kicked its ass we did the damn thing when it happened we're through it yeah i proclaim that truth every day of my life but the realist in me does not discount that it could happen again in my life yep And it's part of the fear that lives down there in my belly. I realized nobody could see that I was like down there (laughs) and they might have wondered what I was talking to. What you're pointing to. Yeah. But it's important to remember and, and for me to look for that in a, in a partner. So speaking of partners and dating and all of this, like, okay, so we've talked about, you know, a little bit of that eight-year relationship. Mm-hmm. How has that area dating, that area of your life been affected throughout the last decade then since treatment? Mm. Or been... even like since that relationship ended, because then you went through treatment. So what was dating? Did you date at all like through those Well, I will share a little vulnerability here about the eight year because we had a pretty beautiful moment after, like once I was into treatment. So I had been through chemo and surgery at this point. Okay. And I was at the part of my surgery where I literally had no chest. Um, So my surgery was, like I mentioned, the double mastectomy. And then they put in your expanders at that time of your surgery to start kind of stretching that skin, if you will, because you lose all your muscle. And so you're literally just stretching that skin. To prep for reconstruction? Exactly. Okay. So to get your implants put in, you go through kind of a mid-phase process. Okay. And so I had gone through that. And I talk a lot about vulnerability because I was half woman I am today probably just in who I felt about myself how I saw myself to your point walking past mirrors it's like sometimes I'm like I don't recognize that chick at all and we had an intimate moment after he had said I can't do this anymore I still let him back in 
So we had been talking and been seeing each other from time to time, and we had an intimate moment. And it was and will be one of the more memorable moments of my life. And I think it is because everything that made me a woman got taken away, and that's the the place I was at when we made this decision. I had no hair. I was completely bald. I had no breasts. The scars were prevalent. Down there stops working, right? Because they shut us down. So my vagina and everything just wasn't what she once was. Yep. And I thought to myself, how are we even going to plausibly make this happen? Because a lot of things change, right? Your hormones, the lubrication, pain thresholds, stamina, all of that changes. And I thought to myself, this isn't even going to be what we were or how we were with one another. It was better. It was a moment of, and it felt like our final curtain. Mm. Um, and it was a moment of pure passion and love and understanding where the scars were kissed and the tears were coming from both of us and it was the closest we could possibly be in that moment and it was different because I was weak and couldn't be what I wanted to be intimately but it was exactly what it needed to be and by letting myself be completely vulnerable. He is the only person that saw me that way and will only be the one person that saw me that way. That's fascinating and like beautiful. And it allowed me to move on. It was like closure. Mm -hmm. It was like acceptance mm -hmm. and closure. Mm -hmm. And it was different experiencing that being single, going through treatment and being like, who, how am I going to have a conversation with somebody over and over on dates or what have you about my physicality? And it was such a locked in piece to my brain that I probably prevented myself from meeting really great people and dating and having healthy relationships. I think after that, I closed off a bit. Why didn't it happen again? I'm sitting here trying to think if it did. Because, <laughs> um, you know, it's so easy to go backwards. Yeah. Um, I think because of the emotional trauma... Of him saying, I can't do this. And then me knowing, you've already said that. And I think you're attempting. But I think that's changed how I feel about you for the rest mm. of my life. Sure. That we, I couldn't, I shouldn't say we, I couldn't overcome it. And I couldn't ever trust him the same ever again. Because when I needed him most, he walked away. Yeah. And then came back for tidbits and I didn't know if that was guilt or love or care or 
pity. So even though in that moment it was beautiful, all those emotions creep up and did not allow for me to stay in that engagement much longer. Okay. Okay, so that was over. That was over. And then came Dating World. And I did not do wigs. Okay. Hardly at all. I did them. So being that I was kind of a front of the house professional in my company, I would wear them if I trained in front of groups or um, if I had to go, go to an event or hold an event. Otherwise, I was in bandanas, I was in scarves, I was in hats, beanies, anything but a wig. They're so uncomfortable. They're so uncomfortable. And it just still didn't feel like me. Mm. Um, so I remember thinking to myself, men just simply are not going to find me attractive. So I think I was my own worst enemy for a while. Like, how do I even explain? And first of all, I think I needed to just still heal and get through reconstruction and just kind of get back to feeling somewhat normal. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't ready to share my story. And so I think I started in the dating pool again. And like, by that, I mean, like, investing in it, online dating and all of that. Probably a few years after treatment. And I had, I have this unique boomerang effect in my life where I do have men I've dated come back and resurface. And mm-hmm. so I had a couple of those um, in the midst. And that those relationships were really no different because they knew who I was as a person and they knew that I had gone through cancer and they knew there would be changes. Yeah. It was not unexpected, but it was dating new men that was really, really scary for me. And I have lymphedema in my left arm and it's, so there's a visible piece to my journey front and center. So what is lymphedema? Not everybody might know exactly what that is or how it presents. Yeah. So it is because I had eight lymph nodes removed from my arm, everybody's body kind of responds different. So lymph nodes carry all your fluid through your body. And so the removal of some kind of creates a blockage of that fluidity flow. And so in turn, I flew on planes for a living. And so that air pressure and kind of any even changes from like us being in the city to go in the mountains can affect that because oxygen's different and elevation is different. And so um, it caused a permanent swelling in my arm is what it did. And so like my fingers, my hands are the most prominent of that mm-hmm. swell. And then like my wrist, elbow, kind of all the way up to my upper arm are all, I would say three times bigger than my right, probably. Okay. And so there's this, um, it's really fluid um, and the lack of being able to move it through your body the same. So your lymphatic system drives all of that. So that's why when we get sick, sometimes our lymph nodes swell. Um, so it's caused a permanent swell because they're missing. And why can't they do anything about that? 
it really comes down to, so I took a lot of physical therapy and in that learned kind of the biology of um, how all that works. And so it's either you're constantly getting that moved because it just gets stuck. And so that means somebody is massaging just to get that movement and that's really hard to do for yourself. Um, and there's just, there's a lot of exploratory surgeries for okay. sure. Um, because it's either, it's either connecting veins or connecting some way for that fluid to move. And I think it's just been challenging for the medical field to really determine what success looks like. Um, some people go through true liposuction. That's one of the treatments that, that can happen now, um, where it takes that excess fat because that fluid can in turn turn into fat. Okay. And so if it gets to that stage, then it's a different type of treatment strategy. Gotcha. So I think it's really just because there's not, there's never been like replacement lymph nodes or surgery that really allows for a permanent fix. So how has that affected the way you see yourself or your femininity or dating or explaining that on dates or whatever? Because like you said, you can see it. It's, it's one of the physical changes. Yeah. It made me very insecure for a long time. And now it's just who I am. I don't think about it. But for a long time, it bothered me because I can't, I'm a jewelry fanatic. You know this about me. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't wear anything on my left arm. So it's little things like that upwards to just, it looks like I'm, having an allergic reaction and that I've had seafood or something and I'm just swelling. So for me, it made me very insecure because what it made me have to do is feel like I was needing to tell my story ahead of when I was ready Mm -hmm. when dating. And also I could see people look from one arm to the other and kind of like second take that a little bit. So for me, it made me very insecure. Okay. From a dating standpoint. Did anyone ever ask you? The more people that asked were people like in my training classes. They'd be like, did you eat something that you're swelling? Like they wouldn't have noticed. And then something transpired that made them bring it up. Um, most, so the man that I have most recently been in a relationship with told me I didn't even notice that and it then clicked that the right person is not gonna focus on that and even if they do it's not a roadblock or a reason to not date me and I think that's what I took it as was like I call her Puffy Paw, so she has a name. (laughs) And so I introduce her to people that way once we're at a certain stage. But not many really asked. Or if I ended up telling them, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I kind of noticed that, but I didn't know. I figured it was just swollen or maybe you had broken it recently or. (laughs) Yeah. And nope, nope, just cancer. So you want to sign up for this stallion? (laughs) Right. Oh, snort. 
you identified that? Oh, gosh. I didn't know what it was going to sound like. <laughs> so, I am I guess I'm kind of jumping out on a limb and saying that you've dated in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. You've probably had intimate experiences and sex in the last 10 years. Yep. Um, how have you handled the challenges as far as self-esteem and confidence and because I know that you still have scars and I know that um, if we can speak a little bit about your nipples are not your own Mm -hmm. and you did have the tattooing Mm -hmm. right so if you can speak a little bit about that what that was like and just how you know your confidence and self-esteem and all of that has been affected I think that'd be really helpful yeah so uh, first of all, I love my boobs, and well, I hated the other ones. I mean, for crying out loud! But Did I, you really? Yeah, because they killed, almost killed me. Good point. But I, I didn't love them. I wasn't attached to my boobs. Like, I got pleasure from my boobs, for sure. But I wasn't. I didn't show them. They weren't a part of my sexuality pre cancer um they were from the sense of just that's part of what makes you a woman but post I love them and my plastic surgeon did a beautiful job and that I think is attributed to young skin being able to flex and get those expanders but the expanders were some of the pain most painful part of my journey but I can't feel a thing and I think that is frustrating as a woman um while being intimate is I can't feel a thing so um and they couldn't keep my nipples like you said because of where my tumor sat and the invasive surgery that had to take place to remove all that cancer Mm mm-hmm And so they made them out of skin from that tissue that was going away, the healthy tissue that was going away. So they made the nipple very realistic and it literally, they cut kind of how the areola would look and then I got them tattooed, like you said. So, um... I keep forgetting when people ask me if I have tattoos that I have two. And I had this amazing tattoo artist that paired and partnered with my plastic surgeon. So my tattooing and the reconstruction of the nipple was done by him. And then his artist came in to fill in the color and she matched the color with my lips. So that's their secret of how they match kind of a natural nipple color you're making to, me want to, like, look at my lips or no. Right. And then go check out my nipples and my areolas. I'd be curious. Yours are a nice, like, pink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Of course, I have one albino nipple now from radiation. Yes. It's permanently white, but. How damn radiation making your nipple albino? I mean, I think it's kind of like a mark. Yeah. You know, like a warrior, goddess. 100%. You know? Interesting thing, but. I agree. It's like a tattoo without having a tattoo. Yes. Enough to go through the pain with it. But yes. You know. Remind me, do you 
find you can still feel one. I can feel everything. You can in both. feel everything in both. Yeah, the problem is just so much pain over pain. here that it's not you know like a sexual experience because there's so much pain that yes yeah. When for me they don't feel the same. So like if a man is to like cut these puppies, it feels different than a real boob. You Are know? you like? I know you're having lots of fun, but uh-huh. I'm just going to, you know, move around and go ooh and ah and make you think it's like a fun time. Yes. But so like <laughs> on what date do you tell them like you think this is amazing, but I actually can't feel anything. <laughs> I Like how do you figure out when to tell them that? Like you're having a lot of fun down there. I, I actually can't feel it. <laughs> you know, I <laughs> I have <laughs> I have had men be like, can you feel that? <laughs> it's like, are we on Meet the Fockers? I have nipples too. Can you milk me? Um, that's kind of what it, it's like. Um, but I'm like, I don't know what kind of work you think you're going to do that's going to transpire them to come back to life and feeling. But I think for the most part, I tell my story but prior to becoming intimate. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because... Otherwise, I would feel uncomfortable because I'd be so worried about the shock factor of. And and here's the thing with men. I, I'm curious, like, if they would realize when at what stage they'd realize, I guess. That they are indeed implants and it's not like a implant like we think in society, right? Because it's your implant is your whole boob. And so there's not any sort of movement that's similar to the natural boob, too. Okay. And so I have to think they would find out quicker. And, of course, like natural, my left is smaller because that's the radiated side. Okay. Than the right. So I I personally don't think they feel real at all. And I think it's in my head that I don't want there to be shock or a reaction. So I always communicate it prior. And what kind of responses do you get? That that's pretty incredible. And I get a lot of curiosity questions that follow. So it turns into conversations. And understanding. That's good. But then I think sometimes it makes them stay away. From, from the breast, the breasts, because I'm like, I can't feel it. Like, so then I'm like, are you missing out on this experience? Because my breasts are different. Do you miss out on them missing out of the experience? Yes. That was a fast answer. Mm-hmm. Yes. I loved a boob play during sex. It just... Was sexual and feminine. And yes. Like, and like. Something to just grab onto in mm-hmm. addition to other places. Right. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think maybe I put more stock into that the experience is different. And really, they're in bed with the naked woman and. Playground. Yeah. Probably just fine. Never had any complaints. Let's put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) 
have your scars faded at all mm-hmm. in the last however many years? Yeah, they really have. Uh, my right, because there was no cancer in the right breast, mm-hmm. it looks, it's barely a scar. The left okay. is shown because I think the radiation yeah. pulls that out a little bit more. But that the right sense. one, and the tattoo has faded too. Okay. So I'd love to get those redone. But I think I'm looking to do a little something different on the redo. Okay. To bring sexy back. Speaking of bringing sexy back, like the great Justin Timberlake says, you know, <laughs> I'd like to do some sort of cool art. And it becomes that's the visual opposed to the beautiful fakes that they are. Yeah. The foobs. The foobs. I love that coin. Yeah. The foobs. Okay. So going through chemo. Obviously, that throws your body into menopause, and we know that that's putting poison into your body. What kind of sexual side effects did you have from that, and has that still impacted you? Yeah. I have had recent from treatment that lubrication and that dry up Mm. and pain because of that. Even with the moment that I shared earlier, there was some pain because your body's hormones aren't producing what they normally do. Mm -hmm. And so it became uncomfortable. So it was something that was never uncomfortable for me that became uncomfortable. And I couldn't, Can I say the C word on the podcast? I couldn't even get off orally or or by my clip because the stimulation was even different. The feeling of it? Yeah. And I think the medication was different. Which medication? I was still on Herceptin. Okay. So my three chemos were Taxotere. Carboplatin and Herceptin. Okay. And Herceptin was the nice one. And by nice, I mean didn't make you lose your hair, didn't make me feel sick necessarily, but you're still, you're on it for a year. Okay. Opposed to the other two. And so I think that being on those medications, Mm -hmm. even like some of the steroids, some of the pain cause the sensation or the ability to orgasm to be different. Yep. And so it felt, you said it, it's like getting fucked with no orgasm because your body's just not allowing those hormones and production to work the same. And that was foreign to me too, being so young, was that some of those pleasure spots were not the same. And that changed. So going through treatment and going through um, getting out of it long enough changed that. And I think the pain was simply because your body, going through menopause, it's shut down really. And so... Well, and chemo destroys your linings. Yes. So, like, your vaginal tissue, you know, I mean, chemo just destroys all of that. Yes. 
So I think it was I don't even know the right word. Frustrating? Because I just wanted to feel human and like a woman and sexy again. And I couldn't even get there. Has that gotten better mm -hmm. over the years? It has. How so? Um, I have no problems at all. Um with lubrication okay i have no problems at all with that sensation of the g-spot okay coming back um and i really have no pain okay anymore either because i think my body has gone through recovery for long enough that it's helped build that resilience back up and that and the medications obviously I'm not on anything for treatment anymore I didn't have to be on any of the oral supplements either um how long did it take for mm -hmm. like your body to come back I think it still is I think it still is it's amazing when we think about what it does, not only to us externally, but internally as well. Um, and maybe I'll go with a sex in the city analogy okay. here. So okay. for any of our of the list, the people listening that are sex in the city fans, we know Samantha goes through breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And she said she kind of compares it to like barren winter and spring. Mm -hmm. And you start coming into spring, for me, probably like three years after even took that long okay. for me. And she explains it like everything's dead. Nothing wants to work. You have no drive. You have no desire. You wonder if you're ever going to, you know, crave sex again. Mm-hmm. And so when she describes it like the first flower blooms, that's how I felt. Like, oh, I'm actually coming back into my own. I'm bringing sexy back. Yeah. And it starts to feel like you go from spring to summer. And then you live outside of, there's no more winter. So for me, it was a growth period of healing in every part of my body. That allowed for those experiences to then feel like they were coming back to normal as well. So did you just allow for your body to heal naturally? Or were there things or products that you tried or did to try and speed that process up? I did no products. Okay. I really just let my body heal naturally and kind of come back to life on its own. And you got your cycle back, right? I did. Oh, How long gosh. did that take? That took, it was in November. And I just have to think. I want to say it took a year. And then when it did, it was, it came back. I thought I was dying. And I was traveling for work and it was the most uncomfortable moment because I'm in a hotel and this happens. But also you're like jumping up and down. And I was like, I'm alive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it took a year. 
Ugh, okay. And then it was very unexpected. I think maybe I had come to terms with like, okay. Maybe it's not. Maybe gonna it's come not going to come back. Um, and then when it did, maybe that is part of why all the parts started healing also. Now that I'm talking that through. Mm-hmm. Is around when that cycle came back. Yeah. Because I know I have not gotten mine back yet. And it's been a little over about, you know, 12 and a half months. Have you had any cramp, any side effects? No. I mean, there was a time last May where I thought maybe I was getting it. And Mm -hmm. I passed like this giant clot. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Yes. But it was just that one clot. And then nothing since then. Okay. Um, and a few weeks ago, I had, like, a lot of pelvic pain. And I was like, maybe my ovaries are waking back up. Yes. But my surgeon seemed to think that, you know, that's not what was happening. And she wanted me to do, like, a pelvic ultrasound. And, you know, like, that pain eventually subsided. So we're not going to do that because good luck, good luck getting anything fucking in there. Ugh. But, um no, it just, they, my oncologist seemed to think that it would take six months. So now we're twice past that. So she said, eh, it might never happen, you know, just keep seeing. And what, how do you, how do you feel about that? I mean, I don't miss not having periods. Like, that's fine. Yep. But I do wonder if I'm in menopause for the rest of my life, knowing that I can never do hormone treatment, I have to be very, very careful with what I put in my body, supplement-wise and all of that, how's that going to affect my libido? How's that going to affect my vaginal lining? Mm-hmm. How's that going to affect its ability to regenerate and its ability to moisturize itself? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times we think it's a lubrication issue, Usually it's a moisturization issue rather than lubrication. Um, You know, like suppositories, I can't even get those in there right now to try and help with that moisturizing. So, I mean, there's that Mona Lisa touch procedure. I don't know if you've heard of that. What is that? Tell me me about what is that? So it's basically a vaginal lining um, regenerative procedure. Of course, insurance doesn't cover it. So it's like 1800 bucks when you do it the first time and they go in and they create little, um, scrapes or abrasions to allow new cells to regenerate and to grow new tissue basically is kind of the shorthand version of that. Um, but it's supposed to help new cells and new tissue grow so that whatever tissue is in there right now, the damaged tissue um, basically goes away. Now, how do you feel about that, given it's horribly painful right now to put anything in there? What is that an invasive procedure where they have to go obviously in there with some sort of tool right yeah I I don't know they say that it's not super invasive I don't know if they put you under or numb you or sedate you I haven't looked into it that far yet Mm -hmm. Um, but there are specific gynecologists who are able to do it who specialize in women's health or 
things like that. Um, usually, um, women's gynecologists that also specialize in some type of women's fertility are known to do it. Um, there's a practice here in Parker that does it, but my surgeon really wants me to look into that. Okay. Just, you know, women with vulvodynia, they've, it supposedly has helped them, um, I think is it What's like sclerosia, like in sclerosis, women, they've been encouraged to try it. Vulvodynia is basically a, um, vul, it's a pain disease for painful sex, um, sexual disease for women where they have very, uh, a lot of pain with penetration, oh. um, deep inside. Oh, that sounds awful. Yeah. It's amazing how many things can impact the female reproductive system. Yes. So what do you think? Are you going to try it? I don't know. I It's something that I'll, I might look into. I mean, who's got an extra just 1800 in cash lying Golly, around these right? days? Um, but it might be something that, you know, after Jeremy and I talk about it, we might look into. I have to contact this, this gynecologist and kind of see what she thinks about some other issues, too, and just anything about my periods and stuff see what she thinks but because I wonder if having your period come back would help or would it cause more pain or I'm so curious because it has to just be frustrating is it frustrating to have so much pain it is but also, my periods were never normal to begin with. Okay. Like, my first period ever at age 14 was 62 days long. Oh, my god. It's gosh. the whole reason I went on the pill to begin with okay. was to control that bleeding. And every time I had tried to go off of it since then, every couple of years, I would just bleed until I went back on it. Mm-hmm. So, I've never been normal in that department. And I think that's something else that women go through is, especially with breast cancer or gynecological cancers or things, is that just feeling like your female parts have failed you. Yes. Feeling like, you know, your female parts have failed you. Our breasts tried to kill us. People have their own, you know, theories about cancer and disease being dis-ease or your body being in dis-ease and actually trying to tell you that something's wrong rather than just trying to kill you, whatever. I think my body was trying to kill me, Mm. but that's, you know, whatever. Um, But then you go through treatment and chemo and parts of your femininity get taken, right? And I've heard things like, oh, so, you know, chemo destroys your... Um, linings. Well, why don't you just give hand jobs? Well, because I had neuropathy in my fingers and they didn't work because it felt like the cross between getting them slammed in a door and burned on a hot pan at the same time. So I couldn't even tie my shoes or cut up my own food, let alone give a hand job. And it's like, well, so why don't you go to anal sex? Well, because I didn't know what hemorrhoids were until age 33 when I went through chemo. And chemo destroys all of your linings, not just your vaginal ones when you get thrown into menopause. So it bled when I pooped. And I haven't taken a shit normally since June of 2020. So that's kind of out of the question. And then they're like, well, you know, why don't you just do things like Titty fucking, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, 
Well, because my breasts have also, you know, been in pain since May of 2020 when they started to be groped and poked and prodded. So um, that's kind of out of the... I mean, it's just people don't realize and understand every single inch of your body goes through treatment. It's not just your breasts Mm -hmm. that has the cancer. Mm -hmm. It's not just your insides that chemo goes into. It's not just, oh, you're bald and you lose your hair that was long. It's not just, I mean, women lose their nails, right? Their nails actually come off. um, So they can't get them done during treatment or whatever. Your skin has reactions. So women who are used to having good skin, mine broke out. I had such bad chemo acne and makeup can't cover it. You know, you know, so it just, people don't understand that every single part of your femininity gets affected by these things. And I think it's so important that you're creating a space where we can talk about it. Because again, I mean, me even asking, can I say the C word, right? Of like course. it's just, it's unconventional for women to sit here and talk about how sexuality is impacted when going through disease and what that then in turn can do emotionally as well and how it can make you feel and first of all if anybody knows you they know how gorgeous you were in every stage of your treatment Mm. minus the acne I don't remember the acne and be honest Um, But I think that's the important thing, too, is when it's all getting stripped, what are you doing to build that self-worth? So what did you do when you were going through and having these conversations, right? I can't do that because I have hemorrhoids and I'm bleeding. I can't do this because my boobs hurt. Like, So how did you build up your self-worth and confidence going through all that you have also. Part of it was advocating for myself. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just accepting that I had chemo acne. I contacted my doctor and was like, I have chemo acne, what are we gonna do? And she goes, here's a medication for that, put it on three times a day, it will clear it up. Okay. It was, I have neuropathy really bad, what do I do? Now, they wanted to just give me pain meds for that, and I didn't want to keep taking pain meds because I still wanted to be able to work and be with my clients. So Jeremy found me this really good CBD ointment that Mm. I would put on and just lather on my fingertips all day, every day. And that would at least make the burning less so. Okay. So I would do things like that. And that would help me at least feel a little bit better. I would work on the days right after chemo when I would feel my best and the steroids were really raging throughout my body and I had the most energy. Mm -hmm. Um, Carissa used to say, like, just put on your wigs and do your makeup and you'll feel better. And it was like, no, actually, that's not what made me feel better. I would put on my beanies and I would just put on my sweats and not put on a bra And I would just sit in my rocking chair and mom would watch Golden Girls with me. Mm. And she'd be forcing me to get down oatmeal at the time. And it would take me, you know, four hours to eat a little cup of oatmeal. But 
knowing that I was putting good things in my body, even though I swore through the whole four hours and I wanted to punch people and all of that, like, I did things like that, that maybe other people would not consider, like, Mm -hmm. but makeup would make you feel pretty. No, no. When you're actually going through it, makeup reminds you how pretty you're not. Mm -hmm. But putting on my beanie, crawling in bed, and laughing at Golden Girls, that reminded me of who I was. That reminded me of who I would get back to. And so it may not have been like what other people would consider makes you feel pretty, but I think it's you have to find what works for you. I don't know. What what did you do? First of all, I love all these because I think they're such relevant ways of overcoming. And and sometimes you just need a quick, quick win going through this. Mm-hmm. Um and I agree with you. It was not makeup. I didn't even have the energy to do makeup. Yeah. And all of, like, I just, and, and yeah, I think I looked like I was bloated and just, and yeah, nothing. But let me tell you this. Um, I don't know if I've shared this with you ever. Ooh. So my dad is the one that shaved my head. And... I took control of the hair loss because my hair before treatment was almost down to the top of my, like, bottom of my waist, top of my butt. Wow, it was long. It was long, and it was thick, and it was curly, and it started to come out, and... It was one of the things that I thought was going to be the hardest. It was one of the things that was the most liberating. So first thing I did was chopped it. So I chopped it to a bob and then kind of allowed the chemo to kind of continue to take it. And there was a certain evening where I was like, fuck it, I'm done. Dad, can we shave this head? And he was like, let me fire up the razor. Well, not only did did my head get shaved... My brothers and my dad shaved theirs all the way down, and my mom shaved her head. Oh, my gosh. And we have pictures of her going from, like, full head to, like, a faux hawk, and then off. And my mom kept it shaved the whole time mine was gone. And we would just sit there with our two little bald heads, because we hated our wigs. She had gotten some wigs, too, just, you know. And taking control back of what was happening to me felt so good. And then I was the person whose nails were deteriorating just a little bit. And I'm, you know me. Mm -hmm. I love nails, toes, all that pampering. And so I would go and get just regular manicures and I would bring my own manicure kit that was sterilized and that I also controlled and knew that I was controlling a little of that pamper. Okay. So I also created a whole fashion sense with hats, beanies, scarves, and had fun with it. Um, I did some fun wigs, too. I think you did, too. Yep, yep. Um, I named them all. They all had a name. Um, And it was fun just to do a bright pink one or do 
green or my purple one. Yes. Yes. And just take advantage of the loss and make it something that you wouldn't do normally. And then I think the other pieces was just reminding myself what a badass I was to be going through this and just to give myself grace and to crawl in and watch. I think mine might have been like One Tree Hill or, mm-hmm. you know, that a reboot. Back then. <laughs> like a reboot or like a um, feel good movies and just even. I did a lot of reading, too, and read about other people's stories and just what it took to get through any sort of life circumstance. Um, I journaled. I was the journaler. And what that did for me was cleared up space in my head. And I would just write kind of how I felt. In the moment, I would do a lot of things with humor just to keep it light. Yeah. That was kind of my thing was like, keep it light in between the breakdowns. Let's keep it light. Um, And I think I couldn't get a massage. There was something about chemo and massages that we couldn't do. Is that right? I don't know if it was the same thing for you, but I was not allowed to do massage because... There was two, with how big my tumor was, there was too great of a chance that it had broken off and gone somewhere else. And if you do massage, it could have massaged it out into your body and caused it to spread. That's right. Yeah. Was that what it was for you too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you weren't allowed. And so for that, um, my mom had like a little miniature, um, it was a, like a pedicure spa, but had like a massage ability to it. So it was getting creative with what to do instead of and still feel good and still feel womanly and Mm -hmm. that self-care I think some days you just couldn't pull yourself off off the floor but and I would buy you know what my thing was when I didn't have my boobs I would buy a lot of shirts with ruffle oh because it gave the illusion that there was some dimension there. Mm-hmm. So I did blouses with ruffles a lot, like button-ups too, so it was easy to, after that surgery, to get in and out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I met your sister in a scarf. I was wearing a scarf when um, she came up. Mm-hmm. I tried to work with what I had instead of wishing it was different. So. Yeah. I have very rarely been able to wear regular bras. Mm-hmm. So I bought new ones instead, mm-hmm. like ones that had pads instead of the underwire and ones that had straps and like just, you know, the spaghetti straps instead of the ones that have the clips or the adjusters because yeah. they would hurt or instead of ones that came high up underneath my arm where my incision for my lymph node surgery was, mm-hmm. I would buy ones that came down a little bit further or I would just buy padded tank tops and then not even wear a bra. 
So instead of trying to fight with my bras and say like, oh, I can't wear them. This sucks. They're so painful. I just said, fuck it and got new ones. Yes. You know, or with pants. Like when I was so bloated during chemo, I stopped wearing jeans Mm -hmm. and just wore sweatpants or leggings or bought bigger jeans. Yes. And thought, I don't give a shit if they're a bigger size. They're more comfortable. Or with hats. Like I would buy cute hats instead of the ones that I always had Mm -hmm. you know like okay so I got to spend 10 more bucks at this point when I'm spending 20 grand what's the difference might as well spend 10 bucks and get extra hats yes or instead of oh chemo ruined another set of sheets oh Mm. well buy a purple set of sheets I like purple anyway Mm. you know so I would do like I hate baths hate baths but I knew that taking baths after chemo would help. So I would put lavender, like, you know, soap in there. And I would make Jeremy sit in there and talk to me while I was doing my, if I got to suffer through a fucking bath, so does he. Yes. And he's got to sit there with me in the heat too. Yep. And I would make him do, you know, but then we ended up having some of our best talks then. So it's like, yeah, I didn't want to be doing this stuff, but instead of focusing on what I can't do, I just found a way to work within my ability and what I could do. And then I just went and did that. Was it only successful? No. I still got really down and pity party and, you know, what was me and all that stuff too. Um, Or my mom would look at me and be like, nut the fuck up. There's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. Might as well not cry. Sometimes she would let me cry, but most of the time not. But, you know, I mean, you just, a lot of it for me wasn't necessarily about how do I feel super feminine and sexy? It's like, you're not going to feel super feminine and sexy for the next little while. Mm-hmm. So go do these other things to make you feel better right now so that you can get back to feeling confident and sexy later. Yes. You know, so it was a, it was shifting my mindset, I think, more so than do everything you can to be confident and sexy because... I just, that wasn't going to be successful for me in that time. And that's so individual in so many ways. absolutely. And I think, too, if I told anybody anything, it's get to know your own body again, right? Whether you're single, married, in a relationship, get to know your own body. Rediscover your own body. And what makes you feel sexy? Because you will carry that in your essence, really, of what turns you on again and what doesn't and what hurts and what doesn't. It's it's a lot of exploring in this word sexy post-treatment and disease and cancer and um, I just think that it's so important to stay in tune with yourself. And a lot of times it's different after treatment because sometimes it never feels exactly like it did before. Yeah. And that's okay. Yep. It's totally fine. I don't know that I would ever want to go back to who I was or how I was before cancer because that still got me here. Mm -hmm. I want to be better. I want to treat Heather 
better than I did before. Because to be quite honest, I didn't treat her that great before. Mm-hmm. Like if cancer did anything, it pointed that out really glaringly in my face. Like I complained about my thinning hair all the time. Guess what? It was a lot fucking better than not having it. Yep. Probably not. I mean, I complain about like short hair is hard to get used to. And sometimes I feel like I look like a boy and, you know, like I have moments of toughness, but I will never complain about my hair being thin again. And your hair is awesome. (laughs) It has looked good. I'm just beavering it. I love it. Just a little throw. A little hair flip. With the bangs. Uh Mm -hmm. Yeah, with the bangs. It's looked good. You've looked good whatever stage it's been in. That's hard to pull off. Thank you. And you look just beautiful. Damn straight. Damn straight. You know, I didn't have mine back for a long time. It was a long... How long was it? It was years. It was... And that was taxateer. Um, you know what I think, too, is I tried to process it too soon coming out, maybe. Do you think that made a difference? I, do, I think so, because... It's been thin for, it's still not what it was. It's long now, but it's still not thick, Mm -hmm. still thin. But to your point, I'm not cutting it because it took a long ass time to get it back long. Yep. In whatever phase it's in. Um, And I think that's important too, to rock it through whatever, right? And... I felt that way too. Like I look like a boy and I have peach fuzz for the longest time. And then the pixie was still thin for me. And I was like, I just, I wonder from behind people are like, Oh, that's a lovely gentleman, you know, but, and it, it took forever up until actually probably five years ago, it was still to my chin and really, really, really thin. Mm-hmm. And I active is the product. Oh, and it is the only thing. That's ever inspired hair growth for me. Interesting. And so it's starting to thicken again. And my lashes still aren't the same. And my brows still aren't the same. But me and magnetic lashes are thick as thieves. And you just paint these little brows on. and Now they have so many products. Now and they do. that you can do that help with all that stuff. They didn't before. Yes. You know. Yep. So... How do you think you're like in kind of wrapping up and stuff? Um, how do you think your life has been different because of breast cancer? Mm. In addition to everything we've already talked about. Yeah. I think I love what you just said about how you treat Heather. I treat Jenny with the utmost respect. And my tolerance level for bullshit is different. And the relationships that I talked about that I put up with, I would never today. It has made me a spicy, more outspoken, more unapologetic version of myself. And I truly feel like I'm more authentic today than I was and I, it has changed how I look at what makes a woman sexy. It has changed um, how I look at relationships, 
and who I look for and what qualities I look for in someone. And I really think it's allowed me to be more honest when things are bad and when it feels dark. And I wouldn't have done that pre-cancer. I would have put a smile on and kept moving in that kind of phony baloney mindset. And now I just live when it's shitting and I live when it's great. And I think I can have better, deeper conversations with people too, because there's a new way of looking at life and new opportunities. And it's the cliche, I really don't take much for granted. Mm. I work hard again, but I'm better about hours. I know when I'm done. Know when I'm spent. I know when I need to just I let myself sleep all day if I need to. And don't worry that I'm missing out on something going on in life. Like, nope, my body needs sleep. Yep. And that's what I'm going to give her. And it's just giving me a new lens. What about you? I still have FOMO. <laughs> like, I have a hard time, like taking naps during the day because I feel like I'm going to miss something yeah, no. or, you know, like I can be really tired and I'll just be like, no, I'm going to miss something. Um, working hard and long is I'm still working on that one. Cause I, I'd still probably do that too much instead of taking breaks. Like I, I was telling you before I'm taking a week off in between Christmas and new year's and I haven't taken time off since my surgery last December. I can't even believe that. And even then, it was only a long weekend. I only took five days off after my lumpectomy, and then I went back to work. I literally do think you're superhuman. I mean, that's not necessarily a positive. Would I tell my one of my clients to do that? Fuck no. 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 So why am I doing that? You know, it kind of puts things into perspective that way. So my therapist is helping me with that. Mm. You know, Jayla gives me a kick in the ass when I need it. Um but I think I'm taking less shit. Like I'm setting, I have this thing where like I'll draw a line in the sand, but then I'll be like, I can move it. But then I'll <laughs> resent the person I moved it for. <laughs> and now I'm like, I ain't moving my line. You're going to respect it or you're not. And if you're not, and I'm just like, peace out, you know? I mean, obviously I'm still, I'm working on that, but I'm working on moving my line less. Like I'm holding my boundaries. I'm just trying to be really firm with paying attention to my own voice instead of all of the noise and voices around me. Like, mm. I don't care if you are mad at me for saying no. I'm going to say no because I need to for me. You know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas before, I would not have done that. Same. I didn't like it when people were mad at me before. Now, it's like, 
I mean, I'm not going to, like, do anything to be disrespectful, mm-hmm. but I couldn't give two shits if I piss you off. Yes. Like, I love you, but too bad. That's not how this is going down. Yes. You know, like, you are not going to do that to me again. You are not going to cross my boundary. Yeah. You know? Because I didn't listen to myself before. And I had cancer before. Mm-hmm. I had cancer growing in me for at least 10 years, if not more. And I did not pay attention to my body. I was telling you, I finally took a medication and was pain-free last Friday for the first time in mm. since I can remember. And I cannot believe that I was not listening to my body for the longest time before that. And I will not do that anymore. I will listen to my body now. Yes. Yes. And I'm still teaching my body to intake water and to eat the right things and to still enjoy life. Yes. I think both of us, one of the first conversations we had coming out of it was, should I eat sweets? Should I drink alcohol? Should I? And I was like, live, girl, live. Because... You get one. So live it up. There are no do-overs. There aren't. And it and the fear will drive us nuts. And it will not go away. It doesn't go away because of what we've faced and what we've overcome. Now we're just better at realizing, drawing the lines to that lady's statement I'm grateful for chemo Mm -hmm. and I still hate that little fucker cancer but sure did teach me a lot and we can you know go a period of time without focusing on sex and sexuality because we have to survive cancer and chemo but we can get back to it we can explore it again we can you know figure out what we want I think to your point earlier and to hammer that home of like exploring our own bodies with our own bodies, figuring out what we want Mm -hmm. and then being able to, you know, decide if we want to share that with someone else. Our bodies go through chemo. Yes. And then they don't because we survive that shit. Mm -hmm. So then we have to figure out what our new bodies are capable of. And what they want and what they don't want. And we have to figure all that out again. And then we decide if we want to let somebody else in on that magic. Exactly. And scars are great storytellers. Yep. And it means you beat and you were stronger than the thing that tried to attack you. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Jenny, for coming on Success Story. I know this was a longer episode, but I feel like all of this absolutely needed to be talked about and needed to be said. And just, I think this is good evidence that you can get fucked and then still have orgasms. The proof is in the pudding. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me and thank you for what you're doing to create a safe space where we can have conversations about the tough stuff. Yeah. I admire you a lot. I admire you for being able to come on and talk about your vulva (laughs) and, and sex and 
your relationships and everything and hang in there with me through it all. So I admire you back. Okay, everybody, there you have it. When cancer fucks you and you don't orgasm, but then you go back to having an orgasm. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And until episode seven, stay tuned. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Success Story. We all know someone or are that someone who has been affected sexually because of illness and treatment. In the coming episodes, you will learn that there are ways to overcome and deal with these effects and still experience a life full of sexiness. Stay tuned for our next episode. And until then, keep creating your own success story.